welcome to the Reading for Success podcast brought to you by the Success League. This podcast focuses on books, articles, and other resources for customer success, provides an overview of each, and gives you an honest assessment of whether or not it's worth your time. Hi, my name is Kristen Hare, and I'm the host of Reading for Success. I'm also the CEO of the Success League, a boutique customer success consulting and training firm based in San Francisco. This week, we're wrapping up the review of Chief Customer Officer 2.0 by Jean Bliss with chapters 8 and 9. But before we get to that, I want to share the article of the week. Today's article is called Zoom and Gloom, and it's part of a special report on the world economy in the October 10th through 16th issue of The Economist. This article is about the transition to remote work and its pros and cons from an economic standpoint. This isn't so much specifically related to customer success as it's just related to all of us in fields like tech who are now largely working from home. Most customer success professionals I talk to these days are still at home, and those who are back in an office tend to be on some sort of rotation or part-time office schedule right now. So I think this is probably interesting to all of us. So what were my key takeaways? Uh, The statistics on working from home that were sprinkled throughout this article were the most fascinating part for me. They say seven out of 10 affected Americans say that it has gone much better or better um, than expected to be working from home. So that's interesting. Um, I also thought that there was a cool chart on the second or third page of the article um, where it said that more than 50% of Europeans would prefer to work back in their offices after COVID, whereas only 20% of Americans would prefer to go back to work in their office. Um, I thought that difference in geography was was interesting. And then the last stat that I thought was really fascinating was that jobs that are paying $60,000 a year or more have only declined by 2%. So these are kind of knowledge worker jobs, most likely to be performed from home. Um, But that jobs paying less than $27,000 have declined by 16%. It's a huge difference. And that most of those are service jobs. So they're most likely to be performed in public. And they also mentioned that those jobs are less likely to come back in the long run. So those are really interesting stats. I think the article also talks about how the pandemic has pressure tested a lot of the ideals around working from home. And as a result, it has reduced the stigma of working from home. It has spurred companies to invest in the tools and hardware that employees need. And it's proven that in large part, you can count on those tools to be reliable enough to support a business from home. That said, I will say personally, I had two days where power in our neighborhood was very spotty. And I ended up having a podcast cut out mid-recording and my daughter missed a very important test twice in one day. Um, So it definitely made me aware of how important the reliability of our power and our Wi-Fi is right now. Luckily, everyone is cutting each other some slack. Otherwise, we could all be getting in trouble with those uh, occasional outages that just happen. I think the other thing that was interesting to me was that some of the advantages to working from home that are mentioned in the article include loosening up some of the housing shortages around successful cities like New York and San Francisco um, because people are moving away and it's creating more housing that's available for less money. Um, it's also increasing the pool of candidates for companies because um 
they can go outside of their geography that they would normally hire in, and that's allowing them to bring on stronger performers. So those are two of the positive changes that they noted. Some challenges that they noted include developing more immersive collaboration environments so that we're not all having Zoom fatigue and ensuring that structural transitions that are already in flight um, by companies like closing down offices or you know, changing the way that people work don't get held up by an ongoing financial slump. Um, and so, you know, the article goes into all kinds of details. It's really interesting. Um, I thought it was really interesting. If you're a CS leader, um, this is definitely worth your time. You should read this article. I think staying on top of the trends that can impact your team, like continued work from home, is a really important part of your role. If you're just curious, though, about the trends and economics around working from home, I thought this was a very fascinating article, and I'd highly recommend it. So let's go on to the book. Today I'm wrapping up Chief Customer Officer 2.0 with chapters eight and nine. And be sure to check out the bonus episode uh, that we also posted today for an interview with the author, Jean Bliss. So what is this section about? Chapter eight is about how to take the five competencies that were presented in the earlier chapters and actually roll them out inside of an organization. Jean presents the maturity model for the customer experience and provides a game plan for how to roll that out. Chapter nine is about how to determine when and if to introduce the role of chief customer officer and provides a number of tools to assess your organization's readiness for that role and for building out the role itself. So what resonated with me here? I think these are two very practical chapters. And if you've been listening to me for a while, you know I really like things that are practical. So I think these are some of the best chapters in the book. There's a case study on page 205 of chapter eight that talks about how to roll things out quickly using what Amazon calls two pizza teams. That's the idea that teams are most effective if they are small enough to be fed with two pizzas. I love that. Uh, smaller teams are more agile and they solve problems quickly. And speaking of agile, the other case study in this chapter, which starts on page 201, talks about taking the agile approach of sprints to make a large change effort much more manageable. Both of these case studies are practical and worth a read, even if you aren't ready for the entire chapter. The other thing I really enjoyed about chapter eight is the section on earning the right to headcount. This resonated with me so much that I think I circled it like eight times. Uh, I see a lot of leaders um, that assume that they can just ask for headcount whenever they want because it's related to serving customers and the company should just provide them with whatever they ask for. And this is so misguided. Every leader in the company needs to prove the value in their organization and what they're bringing to the table in order to earn headcount. Bliss makes this point very effectively and also includes a handy chart that provides a guideline for building out a customer experience team over time. Chapter nine is basically a series of checklists and models, all of which would be useful depending on where your organization is in the process of hiring or modifying the chief customer officer role. My favorite checklist in this section, and the one that I think is probably most relevant for our audience, is the one on page 221 that presents the questions you should ask of a company if you're interviewing for a chief customer officer role. This is so great, and I agree with every one of the questions that she wrote. I have had way too many friends and colleagues take chief customer officer roles only to find out later that the company wasn't actually committed to the customer experience in the way that they expected. You can't make assumptions about what a company is looking for from this role right now. There's just too much variation in our field. 
this list of questions can prevent a lot of mismatches. So there wasn't really anything I disagreed with in this section, um, so I'll just make a comment overall. Uh, this book isn't what I expected. I think I was expecting more of a definition of the role of chief customer officer itself, and instead this is really more of a program for organizational change around the customer experience. And while I like the content, it is very much designed for large, mature organizations. And that makes sense, given the impressive brands that Bliss has worked for and with over the years. However, I think that early stage companies will have a tough time using this content without some modification for their size and maturity. So you can't just sort of take it at face value and apply it. Is it worth reading? I think that the two case studies in chapter eight are great for anyone. They cover ways to use agile and small teams to drive quick changes to the customer experience, and that's relevant whether you're a CSM or a CS leader. The rest of chapter eight may not be as relevant to everyone. If you've wrapped up the five competencies earlier in the book and you're ready to get this process rolling, then I think this chapter will provide you with a great roadmap. But if you're bogged down by the content in the earlier chapters and you're thinking, I don't know if we're ready for this, skip chapter eight until you're ready to go. Chapter nine is more of a skim it kind of a chapter since it's really a series of tools and checklists and you just need to know what's in there so you can use it if and when you need one of those. Overall, I think this is a great book for senior CS leaders who are considering the move into a chief customer officer role, and also for any C-level executive who wants a stronger understanding of how to create a customer experience focused company. I don't know that junior CS leaders or CSMs will get much out of this book other than a view from the top of our field, um, but I do think the case studies that are sprinkled throughout are great for that level of CS professional. Next episode, I'll be starting a new book, and it's one we recommend all the time, The Effective Manager by Mark Horseman from the Manager Tools team. If you're a manager or if you want to be, or even if you're a senior leader, I promise that you'll get something out of that book. If you want to read along, next week I'll be reviewing chapters one through three. Since this is a newer podcast, if you like it, please take a couple of minutes to rate it and subscribe. This really helps us get the word out. I would also love feedback on the timing, format, or content of this podcast and book suggestions. Just email me at kristen at thesuccessleague.io. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join Reading for Success next time.